Happy Tuesday, everyone. Karen Fontenot here welcoming you to another episode of Genesis on Tuesday, where we study the great first book of the Bible, the book of beginnings, Genesis, where we find every doctrine of scripture included in this book, along with God's great plan of redemption for us in and through Jesus Christ. Now, let's get right into the content. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. Verse 7, And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air. For it repenteth me that I have made them. Verse 8, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And I will read that again. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word today. Thank you as we come upon the first mention of this wonderful word, grace. Grace. Oh, thank you. Thank you for your wonderful grace, Heavenly Father, that you have shown to the children of men. We pray today, open our eyes, that we may behold great and wondrous things out of thy law today. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, we are continuing in Genesis today in chapter 6. We... Uh, Last week was a rather, it was a tough uh, lesson. It was a tough study because it, you know, God, um, you know, the Holy Spirit with uh, Moses is, the Holy Spirit instructed Moses to write and to really uh, go into some detail about the wickedness of men. And it was a hard thing to read how the race had become corrupted. But then in the midst of that, we see verse six about a man named Noah, who again, his name means rest, that he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And for those who um, don't know or may not have heard One of the things that we talked about, uh, actually from the introduction of um, this, the Genesis on Tuesday, is that one of the things that um, is so important about the book of Genesis is that we, Genesis contains a lot of first mentions. In fact, um, there is a... A principle in 
regard to Bible interpretation that is called the law of the first mention or the doctrine of the first mention, or in some cases it's called the rule of the first mention. And the point being that to, in order to find the purest form and the purest meaning of any word or any doctrine of scripture, you go to the first mention of that word. And um, one of the examples that was given was um, surprisingly, uh, just as an example, the first mention of the word love in all of the scripture uh, was found in where um, God said to Abraham, take now your son, your only son, whom thou lovest. And that's the first mention of the word love. Now, you know, love is the greatest force of all. I mean, God is love and, you know, love is the greatest doctrine of, you know, I mean, is love is the greatest of all things. And here we find the first mention of it. So the purest form of love and, and love in its purest form, meaning, uh, context, all of it is in God is saying the love of this man, Abraham, for his son. But the broader truth is that Abraham is a type of Father God, the Heavenly Father. And Isaac then is also a type of the Son, the second person of the Godhead, God's Son, Jesus Christ. And so love in its purest form and the start and the beginning and the genesis of all love is God, our Father, His boundless love for His Son, Jesus Christ. And it is that love, you know, God who is love, and his great love toward his son, which John 3.16 tells us that God, talking about that, that great love again, that God didn't just love, but he so loved the world. He so loved the world, the cosmos, the, uh, the, those who were lost and who were undone and who didn't have him. God so loved the world that he gave what that son he gave his son his only son whom he loved so therein is the basis of all love amen but um that is just an example but herein we have come to a great first mention and it is the word grace. Now, 
the first thing, and I'll just read verse 8 again. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So the first question that we need to, let's just look at a definition. In the word grace there in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8 is translated as shen or chen or maybe it's chen. It's C-H-E-N and it is translated favor, grace, acceptance. But the root of that word, the root of chen is hana, which is phonetically pronounced kanal, kanal. And it is defined thusly, to decline, incline, encamp, bend, Bend down, bend down, lay siege against, show pity, have mercy on, show consideration. And now I really like this one, but underline this, to stoop or bend in kindness to an inferior. So the, the, the picture here is a great person or a great individual stooping and bending in kindness to an inferior. So first we are given the definition, but then also let's look at the context which is, you know, just about equally as important as the definition. So the context in which this grace is found by Noah, well, the context is grace is presented right in the midst of impending destruction because, you know, the decision has already been made. Right. That God had said, I will destroy man whom I've created. So the destruction is coming. And then. Grace is shown is found to this man, Noah. So in the midst of impending destruction comes grace, comes a stooping or a bending down to show kindness to an inferior where God is going to show kindness, he's going to incline, bend down, show pity, amen, favor and acceptance in the midst or for someone to be preserved, preservation from impending destruction. So that is the That is the definition of grace and the context of the first mention of the word. So therein is the purest form. And I would just, uh, Romans, 
I'm reminded of Romans verse 20 of chapter 5. Romans 5.20, where the apostle writes, where sin abounds, grace does, he doesn't, not only does he say grace does more abound, but he says grace does much more abound. I will read that again. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Something else can be uh, mentioned here in terms of the context. What we talked about preservation, the grace represents um, preservation. There, in other words, the wicked, the destruction that is being discussed here is concerning the wicked. Those who have, you know, rebelled against God, or in this case, it's those who had just thoroughly corrupted themselves. And as we said before also, um, it is, you know, it had gotten down to the point where um, these were all, I mean, the people had so corrupted themselves that they weren't even full or fully human anymore, but they were, you know, giants, they were, you know, mixed, breeded with, you know, their combination of, you know, humans and angels and humans and animals and just all kinds of things. And in fact, you know, you see that the scripture doesn't say that, uh, in fact, if I'll just skip ahead here, to verse 11 of chapter 6 it said the earth also now, uh, look the earth also was corrupt before God mm. and the earth was filled with violence and that word violence the Hebrew word there for violence is Hamas mm. I'll just say that for what it is worth but so the earth, and, and then verse 12, and God looked upon the earth and behold, it was corrupt. Come on. For all flesh had corrupted its way. All flesh. So it wasn't just man who had corrupted himself, but all flesh, the animals too, all flesh. And then... And this was a new one on me because I hadn't quite realized this. But verse 11 also says that the earth also was corrupt. And I <clears throat> read a Hebrew commentary which, uh, in which the rabbi said that, you know, the earth, even the, you know, the people would sow one thing and they'd get that there was something. I'd have to give more context and forgive me for not, but it basically that, people would sow seeds for one thing, a certain crop, and then they'd end up getting something back that was uh, actually poisonous. I'll make a note of that and we'll uh, hop on that next week and I'll let you know uh, the names and all for that. But the earth had become corrupted as well. So here again, we're just talking again about the context. So the context of grace is 
not only the context here is not only a family saved from destruction, but who is this family? Well, the family is righteous before God. The family is not wicked. So you have the wicked and then you have the just. And so the destruction here in this case is upon the wicked, not the just. So you see how grace is applied here in the context of it. It is very important to note. And if once we realize this, that's another thing about the rule of the first mention is that it really helps us to keep our doctrine and our thinking correct as we go throughout scripture. It helps tremendously. The righteous are not destroyed with the wicked. We see that throughout scripture and it starts here with Noah being shown or finding the grace of God. You know, the book of Proverbs and is a book of contrasts between the righteous and the wicked or the just and the wicked. Have you noticed that? It, the, the, all throughout Proverbs, it's a constant, a continual contrasting that the wicked are one thing, but not so with the just is what the path of the just is as what the shining light that gets brighter and brighter unto the perfect day. There is a contrast here again. So we <clears throat> are going to just look at some things. We're going to go through the scripture and we're going to look at the wonderful grace of God and how he applies it all throughout the scriptures. I will start with the 18th chapter of Genesis. And in this case, here again, there is impending destruction uh, that is about to come upon the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah for um, ways of being or for um, trespasses, I should say, that are not too dissimilar to the actions and behaviors of the flood generation. And we see in chapter 18 of Genesis that God comes down to visit with his friend Abraham, whom he says is his friend. Let me uh, start with verse, eight, uh, verse 17 of Genesis 18. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord, to do justice 
and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. Verse 20, And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it which has come before me, and if not, I will know. So, here... God begins to talk to Abraham about what he is doing and what he is planning to do with respect to Sodom and Gomorrah. And then here in verse 23, Abraham comes and he begins to plead with God and he begins to actually, he begins to intercede. And this is a great picture of intercession, by the way, and tells us exactly what intercession is, is somebody who is a friend of God, capital H, somebody in covenant with God, who goes to God whom he knows, God who is his friend. He goes to him on behalf of someone who doesn't know him or someone who isn't as close to him. And so verse 25, as Abraham begins to um, put numbers before the Lord, numbers of individuals. And in verse 25, he says, that be far from thee to do after this manner, after what manner? To slay the righteous with the wicked and that the righteous should be as the wicked that be far from thee that's twice he said that shall not the judge of all the earth do right now what is he saying what is abraham saying that be far from thee what be far from the lord to slay the righteous with the wicked that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee. Come on. That is what grace is. <clears throat> we saw, that is what we saw with Noah, that grace applied to Noah because he and his family were righteous. They were not wicked. Therefore, they would not be destroyed with the wicked, and they were not. Abraham also tells us that God is the judge of all the earth. He is the judge of all the earth and he will do right. Another thing just to connect there, uh, judge do right, judge do right. See, judges and right go together. It, it, you know, the righteous judge. Well, I'll put it to you this way. Um, a judge who doesn't do right, that's, um, that not only is, an, is that an oxymoron, but that that's out of balance. That that's wholly out of balance. And that's one of those things that is an abomination, you know, before God. Is that a... Um, a um, 
unrighteous judgment, or in other words, a judgment or a judge or a judgment that is not right. Um, so that's just, I'll just put that out for what it's worth. And it is a worthy thing to do to pray, pray for every judge on every bench in your city, county, nation, everywhere. Um, judges must not be corrupt. You know, they, they must do right. Amen. So let's continue on to the very next chapter of Genesis 19, and we see how this matter plays out concerning Sodom and Gomorrah and the judgment therein. Let's look at chapter 19 and verse 12. And the men, that is the angels, said unto Lot, have you here any besides? So that was with, this is where we see Lot's daughters. Um, mention is made of Lot's daughters. So the angels asked him, the men asked him, said to Lot, verse 12, have you any here besides these? So besides your daughters, he says, son-in-law and your sons and your daughters and whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place. Verse 13, for we will destroy this place because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. Verse 14, and Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city, because he seemed as one that mocked, or excuse me, but he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. Verse 15, And when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. Verse 16, And while he, Lot, lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto them, that's that same word translated grace, and they brought him forth and set him outside the city. Now let's, let's go on in verse 17. And it came to pass when they had brought the family forth abroad out of the city, they said, escape for your life. Look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain, but escape to the mountain, lest you be consumed. Now look at grace playing out even further. Verse 18, And Lot said unto them, Oh, not so, my Lord. Behold now your servant, behold now thy servant has found grace in thy sight 
and thou hast magnified, you have magnified your mercy, which you have showed unto me in saving my life. That's grace. It saves your life. And I cannot escape to the mountain lest some evil take me and I die. Verse 20, behold now, this city is near to flee unto, and it is a little one. Oh, let me escape there. Is it not a little city? And my soul shall live. And verse 21, and he said unto him, see, I have accepted you. I have accepted you concerning this thing. Mm. Look at all that grace. Also, that I will not overthrow this city for the which you have spoken. Verse 22, haste thee, escape there. Underline this, for I cannot. He didn't say I would not. For I cannot do anything till thou be come thither. I, he, he said, I cannot do anything until you get out of here. I cannot destroy this city, these cities until you get out of here. That is grace, ladies and gentlemen. That is grace. The great deluge and the flood did not come until not only was the ark fully built and completed, but also that the animals that God told Noah to put to preserve, they were inside the ark, Noah and his family were also inside the ark and the door of the ark was shut. And not only was it shut, but it had been shut for seven full days before one drop of rain fell. Noah and his family were fully preserved before one drop of the deluge came and here again we see the same the exact same concerning God's covenant man Abraham and Abraham or Lot in case we didn't make mention of this before but Lot is Abraham's nephew Lot is uh, was the son of Abraham's deceased brother. So that is something else that for all of you listening out there who wonder where your place is or what your place is with respect to your nieces and nephews, well, it's a big place. It is a big place. In the place of prayer and intercession, we have a great and a high place of prayer and intercession concerning our nieces and nephews and God will preserve them because of us when we pray because he certainly did so for Lot.
Amen. Let's look now further at the 33rd chapter of Genesis. And this is concerning the two sons of Isaac, Jacob and Esau. Um, Jacob had um, obtained the birthright, which had belonged to his brother Esau, but Esau gave his birthright up. And to make a long story short, Esau was so angry that he had vowed that he would kill Jacob the next time that he saw him. But so let's read in chapter 33 of Jacob and Esau laying eyes on one another for the first time since the losing of Esau's birthright. Chapter 33, verse 1, And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau came, and with him four hundred men. Now you know Jacob must have thought that Esau surely is going to kill him. And he, Jacob, divided the children unto Leah and unto Rachel and unto the two handmaids. And he put the handmaids and their children foremost, or they were first, and Leah and her children after, and Rachel and Joseph hindermost. Verse 3, And he passed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Verse 4, And Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell upon his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And he lifted up his eyes and saw the women and the children and said, Who are those with you? And he said, The children which God hath graciously given thy servant. Verse 6, Then the handmaids came near, they and their children, and they bowed themselves. And Leah, also with her children, came near and bowed themselves. And after came Joseph, near, and Rachel, and they bowed themselves. And he said, What meanest thou by all this drove which I meet? And he said, these are to find grace in the sight of my Lord. There's that grace again. And Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep thou which thou hast unto thyself. Jacob said again, Nay, I pray thee, if now I have found grace in thy sight, then Receive my present at my hand, for therefore I have seen your face as though I have seen the face of God, and you were pleased with me. Verse 11, take, I pray thee, my blessing that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me.
and because I have enough. So Jacob had presented a substantial or a gift of great substance to his brother Esau, and Esau received it. But the grace of God was present there, and that was, again, the grace of God coming on the scene and being applied in a situation in which, you know, Jacob and his family could have been destroyed because of that's what his brother had vowed that that was what he would do. But the grace of God was poured out not only on the situation, but also from a man showing grace to another man. In this case, God imparting that grace onto Esau for him to show to his brother, which again is in the same context of a just man, Jacob, being saved from the wrath of an angry man who wanted to take his life. So he and his family are spared. That's grace. Let's go now to chapter 39 of Genesis and beginning verse with verse 1. We're going to, this is the same Joseph who was previously spoken of, the son of uh, Rachel and Jacob. Genesis 39 verse 1, and Joseph was brought down to Egypt. Now look at D. Joseph was brought down to Egypt. Yes, that was down. It was a lower place. It was a bringing down. Um, Egypt is, you know, uh, a type of the world that doesn't know God. And so it is a going down. It was not only uh, going down or south physically and geographically, but in a spiritual sense, it is also going down. Uh, Jacob, uh, Joseph was the son of Jacob. Jacob was a prince of God. He was uh, the, he is the grandson of Abraham, who was the man in covenant with God. They were Abraham was a prince in the earth, and so is his son Jacob. So they, if there ever be a royal family in the earth, it was the family of Abraham. So uh, that, that Jake, Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and that just encompasses a lot. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, or bought him, I should say, not brought, but bought. So he was sold as a slave at the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. Verse two, and the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph, verse four, and Joseph found grace in his sight and he served him and he, Potiphar, made Joseph overseer 
over his house and all that he had he put into the hand of Joseph. And it came to pass from the time that he, Potiphar, had made Joseph overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. Verse 6, And he, Potiphar, left all he had in Joseph's hand, and Potiphar knew not aught he had. He didn't know what he had, save the bread which he did eat. There again, the grace of God abundantly poured out upon this man, Joseph, who we come to find later on. Um, Joseph, we're going to find it, that Joseph is exalted. He's no longer a slave, but he's brought not only out of slavery, but second in command in all the land of Egypt. And he, Joseph, ended up saving his people, saving the Hebrew people, the who brought forth Messiah into the earth. He ended up saving them and all the world from starvation, from the great famine. Therein, we see the grace of God saving from destruction. Let's look at chapter 9 of the book of Ezra and we see where the people of God had trespassed and let's look at verse 7. Since the days of our fathers we have been in a great trespass unto this day and for our iniquities have we our kings and our priests been delivered into the hands of the kings of the lands to the sword, to captivity, and to a spoil, and to confusion of face as it is this day. Verse 8, And now for a little space grace hath been showed from the Lord our God, to what end? That's me saying that. To leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a nail in his holy place that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. For we were bondmen, yet, our God hath not forsaken us in our bondage, but hath extended mercy unto us in the sight of the kings of Persia to give us a reviving, to set up the house of our God and to repair the desolations thereof and to give us a wall in Judah and in Jerusalem.
there is the grace of God providing, Ezra says, an escape from the bondage. That's grace. That's what it does. Esther, Queen Esther in chapter 2, she was given grace. Let's turn there. In chapter 2 of Esther, and starting with verse 8, so it came to pass when the king's commandment and his decree were heard, and let me just say, the, king's com the king wanted to replace his queen, Vashti, or Vashti, or I think it's I think it's Vashti, but uh, she uh, he was not he was no longer pleased with her. She he gave a command that she didn't follow, so he, you know, kicked her out, and he was he had put forth a decree for a new queen. So it came to pass, verse 8, when the king's commandment and his decree were heard, and when many maidens were gathered together unto Shushan, the palace, to the custody of Haggai, that Esther was brought also in unto the king's house to the custody of Haggai, keeper of the women. And the maiden pleased him, and she obtained kindness that's grace, that's that same word. She obtained kindness of him, and he speedily gave her her things for purification with such things as belonged to her and seven maidens, which were meet to be given her out of the king's house. And he preferred her and her maids unto the best place of the house of the women. Let's skip down to verse 17. After Esther had been presented to the king, and the king loved Esther above all the women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Now let's look at chapter 8 again in the book of Esther. Verse 1, on that day did the king Ahasuerus give the house of Haman, the Jews' enemy, unto Esther the queen. Haman was the enemy of the Jews. Haman had gallows built to hang the Jews that would not bow to him. He sought the destruction of the entire Jewish race. But the king gave the house of Haman to Esther the queen. And Mordecai came before the king for Esther had told what he was to her. So Esther told the king that Mordecai was her uncle, and the king took off his ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai, and set Esther, and Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. Look at the favor, verse 3, 
And Esther spake yet again before the king and fell down at his feet and besought him with tears to put away the mischief of Haman the Agagite and his device that he had devised against the Jews. Then, verse 4, the king held out the golden scepter toward Esther. So Esther arose and stood before the king and said, If it please the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and the things seem right before the king, and I be pleasing in his eyes, let it be written to reverse the letters devised by Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, which he wrote to destroy the Jews, which are in all the king's provinces. For how can I endure to see the evil that shall come unto my people? Or how can I endure to see the destruction of my kindred? Then, verse 7, the king Ahasuerus said unto Esther the queen and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and him they have hanged upon the gallows because he laid his hand upon the Jews. Hallelujah. Write, verse 8, write you also for the Jews as it liketh you in the king's name and seal it with the king's ring for the writing which is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's ring may no man reverse. So the grace, the grace of God that placed was placed upon Esther to for the king to choose her to be his queen in the first place. He didn't know that she was a Jew, but he, the, because of the favor and the grace of God upon her, he picked her and it is to the saving of the Jewish race. Amen. Let's go now to the New Testament and we are going to look at Jesus in the gospel of John, as John talks about Jesus in verse 1. He's talking about the word and that and he which was from the beginning. And John says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16, and of his fullness have all we received and grace for grace. Ho, verse 17, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God's answer. He is the grace. Jesus 
Christ is the grace of God, which is who is the savior of all humanity, of all who would believe on him. He is the grace of God, the redeemer who saves all from eternal damnation who will believe on him. The epistle of Titus, chapter 3, let's start with verse 1. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. Verse 2, speak evil of no man and be no brawlers, but gentle, showing unto showing all meekness unto all men. Verse 3, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers lusting pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but According to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Hallelujah. Amen. First Peter chapter five and verse 10 says he calls him the God of all grace, the God of all grace. He has called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. Let's go last to the great verse in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, which reminds us, for by grace we are saved through faith. For by grace, that grace, that the grace of God, and I want to go back to that original definition, the grace, the declination of God, where he bent down by the bending down of God to show pity and to have mercy and to show consideration by the stooping and bending down in kindness to an inferior and to preserve from wrath. By grace, we have been saved through faith and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. Hallelujah. Thank you, my Father. Thank you for your wonderful, abundant grace, which you have lavished upon us in Christ Jesus. And may the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his holy word. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the lesson. See you again next week.